You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So, Kohler, you gave a talk at a high school assembly pretty recently. Uh, what happened at that talk? So, yeah, I was talking to some high school kids kind of each way these kids kind of thing, you know, giving them that good pep talk of uh, getting all their potential out of themselves. And so I began by talking a little bit about myself, my own story and kind of how I came from my own situation without, you know, being a, a product of a single parent home and, you know, below the poverty line as we were growing up, all those kind of things. And so as I was sharing with them, I also talked about how I worked really hard and built my craft and worked in the music industry and became a recording artist. And I was able to achieve some of the goals that I had set for myself and really had kind of succeeded beyond what I ever thought was possible. I began to share about some of my celebrity friends that I kind of know, you know, a lot of the local celebrities, athletes and entertainers that are from, you know, the Seattle area. So I put up pictures of myself and Bobby Wagner from the Seahawks. Uh, myself and Sean Kemp, the Rain Man, you know, played for the Supersonics. The Rain Man leads them howling into the Seattle night. Sir Mix-a-Lot, you know, Grammy-winning recording artist who I was uh, friends with in his group, all those kind of things. So, you know, I'm putting up all these these pictures, but then I get to the picture of myself and Ken Griffey Jr. And it was just total blank stares and silence. <laughs> and it's like, and the teachers were like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then the, the students are like, huh? Doesn't ring a bell. No idea. You know, so he's like kind of disappointed. I'm like, man, this dude is like he was it. He's got a statue in front of the baseball stadium for crying out loud. How do you not know who this dude is? They just could not connect because for some reason, and I can't explain what that reason is. They didn't really know. And that legacy of his wasn't kind of passed down to this generation. And I couldn't figure out why. In season one of American Prodigy, we went looking for Freddie Adu because it felt like Freddie had gone missing after becoming a star. This season, we turned towards Ken Griffey Jr., not because he's missing, but because it seems, in a way, that his legacy has gone missing. Griffey is remembered as one of the biggest baseball stars in America, at least in the 90s, but not much else. When you examine his story closer, there's a lot more that he had to offer. And it might be that the most important part of his legacy has nothing to do with baseball. He was just too good at baseball for us to see. I'm Alex Ward. I'm Kola Malik. And this is American Prodigy. So, Kola, I'm a kind of a... I don't know, dormant baseball fan would be the best way to describe it, (laughs) which is to say it was once active, but I haven't really followed the game in years. When I was a kid, you know, I I had a Ken Griffey bobblehead and then I had an Ichiro bobblehead Mm because all my cousins were in Seattle and kind of exported their baseball fandom to me because I didn't have a team growing up in Portland. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
you are an old friend of Ken Griffey's. You've known him your whole life. You guys met when you were really young. And so I want to ask you, for anyone who's maybe younger that never saw Ken Griffey play, what was it about him that made him so fun to watch play baseball? Yeah, man, I'll, I'll be honest. I think that Ken played the game with a real swagger that brought the young fans in and just it just captivated you, man. It just really was must-watch TV when Ken was at the plate. I mean, he cocked his hat backwards. He just, the way he ran out onto the field, the way he swung the bat, I mean, everything was just cool about him. And it made baseball cool. And I think it attracted a whole young generation of fans to look up to him and want to be like how he was on the field. In season one of the show, which was all about Freddie Adu and the, the heavy weight of expectations we put on Freddie Adu, who could finally make this country soccer fans, right? Yeah. We examined a lot of why that didn't work. Ken Griffey's very different. He became a household name. In terms of pop culture, he hit some of the highest highs, especially in the 90s at a time when a lot of people were comparing him to Michael Jordan, saying, you know, he's the Michael Jordan of baseball. Yeah. We've interviewed dozens and dozens of people for the show, and that's come up again and again. And as we produced the show, that was the question we started with. If Ken Griffey Jr. was the Michael Jordan of baseball, then why don't we remember him that way? Why isn't his legacy as strong as Michael Jordan, who became this global brand. Yeah. Do you think that's the right way to frame this season? Well, I I would say this. If you want to um, absolutely run Ken away from the show and participation, that would probably be the fastest way you could do it is by trying to like make a comparison like a Michael Jordan. Why isn't he Michael Jordan? If I think if he if, if he knew that were the title of it or something like that, I think you could you could run him off no faster using anything else. I don't think. Yeah, I, I really don't want to do that. OK, um, but that kind of gets to the the next thing about this show that's going to be different from season one, which is that the first season with Freddie Adu was mainly a long form interview with Freddie talking about everything that happened. Uh, and in this show, we don't have Ken, at least not yet. We've been working for months to try to get him. We still hope to have him on the show. But I think if I'm a listener and I hear that you, Cola, have known Ken your whole life and your old friends, I think, well, then why is it so hard to get Ken for this show? Hmm. I think that the answer to that question is, you know, it's sort of complex and it's really at the heart of what this show is about. I think we'll get to it as the show goes along. I think we'll uncover what the real answer to that question is. Do you think Ken Griffey Jr. is, is a prodigy? Yes, I, I, I do. Um, because, you know, when I look at how he was able to master multiple lanes of his of his craft right the dude can hit run catch you know all these different things throw i mean he he had all the tools he was born with them obviously some of it genetics some of it you know hard work some of it just you know good fortune and blessing but you know you have a major league dad and you have a dad that's in your life and influential and and a you know relatively good father you know but the bottom line is that to be when you're, you know, think about where we most of us are when we're 19, you know, 18, 19 years old. And the imagine trying to literally grow into a man under a spotlight. What were your impressions of him when he first came in as a freshman? Well, I had heard a great deal about 
Kenny, and uh, I had never seen him play before he came to Muller. This is Ken's high school coach in Cincinnati, Mike Cameron. And uh, we were up in our cages doing uh, tee work and that. I was watching him swing off the tee, and he missed a couple of times. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the great Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> he saw me uh, watching him, and he said, uh, I haven't worked off the tee very much. And uh, he says, that's just not something the Griffies do. And I said, you're going to have to get used to it. And, you know, there wasn't any problem. He, he cooperated, but uh, he stepped into the cages where we had live pitching. And after about three swings, uh, I looked at the, <laughs> I looked at the assistant coach and I just said, wow, the ball coming off his bat. The swing was just beautiful. We made a pact right there, myself and the assistant coach, that we weren't going to screw up the swing. We weren't going to try to coach him on that. I mean, how how rare is that? Had you ever done that with a high school player before? Not try and improve their swing? No, no, I haven't done it before and I haven't done it after. He was just such a talent. Just everything came to him so natural. Junior's dad, Ken Griffey Sr., was something of a local hero in Cincinnati. He played for the Reds during their back-to-back World Series wins in the 70s alongside Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez, Johnny Bench, on a team known as the Big Red Machine. That's it. The Cincinnati Reds win the World Series in four straight. It was a sweep. And now here was Senior's kid, nicknamed the kid in high school. Parents that had cheered for Senior now had their own kids playing against Junior, and they wanted to beat him. Even when we were younger and before high school, just the, the number of parents that would cheer if they got him out. That's Scott Schaffner, who was a childhood friend and teammate of Ken's in high school. You could tell that he was the son of a major leaguer, not necessarily by anything that he did, but by how other people kind of treated him. I think no one cared if they struck me out. <laughs> you know, it's but if you strike out Ken Griffey Jr., that's a big deal. That's a lot to bear for a kid. You know, here are a bunch of adults coming to watch and they, uh, you know, hopefully appreciate what they were what they were seeing. But sometimes fans can be a little mean and they were doing it at the time because he was the best player and of course people knew who his father was you know he i think felt the pressure of being ken griffey senior's son and and i think worked very hard his dad's opinion of of him i think mattered a lot especially when it came to baseball it was funny you could you could be in a situation where there'd be you know a million sports illustrated photographers around every scout with their little radar guns and stopwatches and clipboards and none of that stuff would phase him again high school coach mike cameron didn't matter who was looking at him kenny just was kenny he he never it never bothered him except when his dad came that's that's the only time that he pressed. Wait, what do you mean when you say that was the only time you saw him pressed? Well, he, he would try to swing harder. He'd try to hit the ball farther. He'd try to run better instead of just letting it happen. Anybody else, he was just natural. And, and, and his dad knew that. His, his dad said, he says, I know. He said, but what are you going to do? He says, I want to see my kid play. So... The professional scouts started coming. Even general managers came by because he, he was going to be a high pick. I said, Kenny, I said, uh, you know, I never asked you this. 
obviously you're you're going to get drafted, but are you at all interested in going to college? And Kenny looked at me and he said, uh, he says, Coach, I was born to play baseball. And he says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a professional baseball player. Just days before Junior's graduation from high school in 1987, the MLB holds its draft. And back then, the draft isn't televised. It's not even in person. It's just done at the league office over a conference call. Okay, we're ready to go then with the first round. The first selection goes to Seattle. Seattle selects number 1154, George Kenneth Griffey. Seattle's selection is George Kenneth Griffey, center fielder from Moeller High School in Ohio. Junior spends the next two seasons playing his way up through Seattle's minor league teams, and he finally debuts with the Mariners on April 3rd, 1989, at 19 years old. 20, 25 years from now, you're going to want to say, I was there when Ken Griffey Jr. made his home debut. So don't forget that on Monday night. There's a drive into the gap in left center field and deep left center field, and Henderson's not going to get to it. It's off the base of the wall, and Griffey to second base in his first major league at bat, a ringing double off the 375 marker, and we have seen that all spring. Welcome to the show, Ken Griffey Jr. A week later, he sees his first pitch at home in the Kingdom in Seattle and does this. First swing is deep, Kittle back, goodbye home run! His first swing at the Kingdom! He's the youngest player in the majors, and he's living up to everything, including the first overall pick. The prodigy had officially arrived. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Cola, I asked you if you thought Ken Griffey was a prodigy. Were you a prodigy? I would say yes. Someone told me before, and I don't remember who it was, that the definition of discipline is giving up what you want now for what you want most. And in in high school, I gave up all the stuff, the, the proms, the tolos, the hanging out at parties, going to different movies, hanging out with my friends. I gave up a lot of things that I would have rather been doing as a teenager in order to pursue what I thought was a gift in order to, to, to reach a certain, a, a certain goal and a certain dream that I was after. When I was 14 years old, I started touring with Sir Mix-a-Lot. So Mix-a-Lot and I both uh, grew up in South Seattle area, right across the street from the famed Rainier Beach High School. And so um, he was a local DJ that was kind of making a lot of noise and doing a lot of cool things. And uh, that was kind of my go to, like, you know, a kid who wants to who has hoop dreams. He's always at the gym. So for me, I was always at Sir Mix-a-Lot's house. And every time that he went to the studio, if I had to just sit there, you know, as a, like a fly on the wall and just listen and absorb and whatever. And any chance, hey, man, you, you, you want some beatboxing in that part? <laughs> you, you want me? To, can I say a word in there? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I think maybe I just wore him down <laughs> until he gave me a chance on the mic. And I did a song called Rippin' with him on his first album that was my first time actually getting a rap verse that you know was going to get like released 
I even signed my first contract. I was underage when I signed that, you know, at 16 years old, I signed my first recording contract and it probably wasn't legal at the time, but you couldn't tell me anything. You know, at the point I was like, listen, whatever it takes for me to get to this dream, I'm going to go for it. How did you get the name Kid Sensation? The name Kid Sensation came from Sir Mix-a-Lot. And uh, we were out on the road and, and I was uh, Mix-a-Lot's DJ. I was DJ Dangerous at the time. Right. And so um, but man, I was 15 years old, man. And I'm sure I used to annoy the hell out of everybody, man, because, you know, these are all grown men, man. And I'm, you know, bopping around. Yeah. You know, just messing with everybody. And they would call me kid frustration, kid, <laughs> no consideration, anything they could think of, man. You know, <laughs> and then they they finally said kid sensation. And uh, mix a lot, kind of amend it, and then it ended up just kind of sticking. Down from the West Coast, chilling in Sea Town, get it on the rap world upside down. It's Kid Sensation, 18 years young, Deftine Idol's gonna keep the girl strong. As Kid Sensation, Kohler releases his first album in 1990 called Rolling with Number One. This is the single off it called Back to Boom. It's a banger. The album does really well putting Cola on the hip-hop map at a time when the genre is becoming mainstream. Around this time, the two kids, Kid Sensation and the kid Ken Griffey Jr., finally crossed paths. Man, I was hood rich by then, bro. I, you know, <laughs> I had made a little money, man. And, you know, so I was getting a very, very massive stereo put into um, my Mercedes. And I mean, this thing had my name stitched on a leather panel that you push the alarm button and it would go. Uh, the panel would come down and then the amplifiers would come out and it was all motorized and it was just so cool. That is and, sick. Yeah, it was really cool. That's I can't sick. lie. <laughs> But uh, Griff was having his he had he had a Porsche and he was having his done. So I remember pulling up to come check on how my car was doing. You know, I'm in my in my truck and uh, I stopped by and, you know, and, and chop it up with the owner a little bit. And, you know, we we're cool. And someone walked up when we were talking and said, hey, man, uh, kid, there's someone here that you need to meet. Ken Griffey Jr. And I'm like. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm thinking Ken might be, you know, I don't know. Is he a real estate agent? Who is he? You know, So cool, man. Yeah. Let me let's go see. What's up with Ken Griffey Jr.? At the time, I didn't know who Ken Griffey Jr. was. Now, I did know that there was a baseball player who happened to be a young black dude that came to the Mariners and was ripping it up and all this kind of stuff. He was a real good dude. And he was, you know, all, you know, all hyped up. But the name, I didn't know the name because I wasn't a baseball fan. Most inner city Seattle black kids, man, we ain't baseball fans because Pacific Northwest baseball is not big up here because, of course, of our weather and all those kind of things, you know. So we we talk for a couple of minutes and then someone says uh, to, to Ken something about batting practice or something clued me in. And then I went. Oh, that's who this is, you know? And so I'm like, he's that baseball dude. Junior with a high drive to deep right field. Gone! You know, he felt like, and I felt like that, when we were together, we were we were friends. And it wasn't about music. It wasn't about, you know, he wasn't asking me, when are you, what, so when's the next concert? And I wasn't asking him, man, well, you know, uh, what about this, about baseball? That We just were able to connect as just friends and, and hang out 
we used to play spades all the time. So we both loved board games. We loved cards. We loved just kind of hanging out, stereos, music, cars, all those kind of things. We just had so many lanes that we ran into that were so similar. We just clicked. We clicked really well, man. And we quickly became best friends. So right around this time, Ken's coming off his 1989 rookie season, where the Mariners were 73 and 89. They're pretty bad. It's the second walk of the inning by Randy Johnson, and the bases are loaded for Mookie Wilson. Three walks in the game now, and Jimmy Lefebvre is going to go out and counsel his young left-hander. But in 127 games, Ken bats 264, hits 16 homers, steals 16 bags, and knocks in 61 RBIs. Again, all at the age of 19. Off-speed knuckleball in high and deep to right field. Sierra and Kunkel looking up. Goodbye. Obviously, he wins Rookie of the Year. By his second season, he's an All-Star, a title he'd keep for the next decade. Making his first All-Star appearance from the Seattle Mariners, Ken Griffey Jr. Then in his third season, at age 21, he hits 327 with 100 RBIs, and he leads the American League in All-Star votes. And by 1992, he's the All-Star MVP. Griffey, 23 years old, and he's been in three straight All-Star games. That's well hit to left. Bonds on the run, looking up, and it is gone. That's why. So somewhere in the middle of all this, Ken finds time to put out a rap single with you, Cola. And we got to talk about this because it's kind of crazy to me that a baseball player would actually show up on a rap track. Like, I can think of tracks that talk about baseball players mainly the uh the barry bonds by kanye yeah but the, to actually have a player rapping on a track seems kind of nuts to me so how did this how did this happen to be honest with you that song was uh, was simply a byproduct of the fact that every rapper wants to be an athlete and every athlete wants to be <laughs> you know a musician or an entertainer or a rapper or whatever so we start going kind of back and forth about that and I said, I tell you what, I'll prove to you that I can hit a ball and you prove to me that you can 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 spit a verse in the studio. And he was like, OK, all right, let's 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 figure this out. You know, I uh, get Ken in the booth. You know, I, I write some lyrics for him, you know, and and kind of give him the way that the lyrics kind of go. And he goes in there, man, and he and he does his thing. I mean, you know, he, it's not bad. I'm like, yo, OK, not 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 too bad. Ken's verse stays on the track and Cola releases it as a single in 1992 called The Way I Swing. I didn't come alone this time. Ken Griffey swing the crowd to one run. Yeah, Griffey's a swinger, not a singer. A deaf rhyme bringer. A home run hitter, but I'm not a dope swinger. For those who try to flex, I'm a quick neck ringer. For those who seek the rhyme, it's wiggity whack, I'm a stingy. The G, the R, the I, the F, the F, the E, the Y. See, I'm 6'3 and rough, so why try to stick to number 24, cooling in the flat? You get cracked with a baseball oh, bat. Yeah. One likes the bat. But you wrote the lyrics for him. Yeah, yeah. I wrote the lyrics for The Way I Swing. Uh-huh. So he didn't uh-huh. have to do that part. So he didn't have to do that part. So at least that that <laughs> gave him a little bit of coverage, right? I mean, you know. That feels to me like he's swinging the bat for you and you just have to run the bases. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, that, now, see, now, I should have thought about that when we were, uh, when we were down at the batting cage. Because let me tell you, man, I went down to spring training with him. I got in there and, and, you know, got ready, got started, get my bat on my shoulder. And so I was already scared to kind of stand in on the ball, man. I'm just going to tell you, it was just a it was a disaster of, of, of an experiment, man. And I might have gotten a little piece of a ball somewhere in there, man. But it was they, they were coming too fast, man. It was it was too much, bro. 
Now, did he have a new level of respect for what I did? In other words, like right after getting on the mic and all that? Absolutely not, man. He just acted like he had just, you know, man, listen, you, you know who I am. Look at how I just put it down, man. I mean, no, I, I didn't earn any new respect from Ken whatsoever. And that's just was the nature of our friendship, man. We wasn't going to give each other too many points. <laughs> we were too busy always ranking on each other, man. So when you guys did this song, I mean, this is at a time when Ken is like delivering on all the hype that had been building around him when he came into the majors. And I think for you, you had this incredible luck that you got to see that blossoming happen, like right in the front, like right by his side. I mean, what was that like kind of getting to know baseball through Ken Griffey? Having someone like Ken Griffey Jr. be the person that introduces you to baseball. I mean, you know, it's like having Michael Jordan introduce you to basketball. You're not just watching the Pee Wee League, man. You're watching like the best of the best. Like there were times that Ken was the best baseball player in the world. And I mean, like being able to have a front row seat to that was uh, was pretty special. I've interviewed a lot of people for the show, and that's come up again and again, is that Ken Griffey Jr. kind of made people revisit baseball in a way or say, oh, this is interesting. This is a whole new fun type of baseball player that I haven't really seen yet. I mean, man, he was the coolest baseball player, hands down. That's comedian and former baseball fan, David Borey, who grew up in the Seattle area. He made the Mariners look... So, dude, I didn't even... I remember not liking the Mariners like logo and stuff like that. I mean, I guess the blue and yellow when I was a kid, but like, like he made the Mariners look cool, like more than anybody else. You wanted a Ken Griffey Jr. jersey bad. Like, I remember feeling, like, lucky to be a Mariners fan. I went to a couple games at Safeco growing up when I could. I guess towards the end of his uh, his tenure there. But I remember seeing, like, all the kids wore backwards hats when they were at the games, too. Yeah. Oh, you had to. They had His bobblehead had a backwards hat, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, fitted hats backwards. That was Ken Griffey Jr. I feel like that's why people did that was Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, it's totally why. And he actually did that originally when he was a kid because he always wanted to wear his dad's hats. Uh, but they were obviously way too big for him, and he couldn't see when he wore it with the cap in the front. So he flipped it around and wore it backwards. Really? See, I didn't even know that. Which is really sweet, actually, I think. Yeah, he, that's, like, really nice. Yeah, and, like, obviously him and his dad were super close, right? I mean, they actually played together on for a couple seasons on the Mariners. When uh, when he was coming into the league and his dad was retiring, they're like, well, let's, let's be on the same team. And uh, it led to... <laughs> The only time ever that a father and son have hit back-to-back home runs. And he hits one well to left center field. Dante Bichette. Back-to-back home runs. (laughs) What else can these guys do? What a moment. Some guys get all the luck, huh? I know. Imagine you and your dad. Like, I'm thinking about (laughs) me and my dad just playing baseball tomorrow. It would be unimpressive. You said you're not really... A baseball fan anymore you haven't followed baseball in a while it's, is that yeah man it's i it's been i think i kind of casually kept up with baseball until about high school and then i sort of like you know i, I I'll, I'll tap in during october you know what i mean a little bit for sure but like nothing no investments <laughs> do you miss being a baseball fan i 
I miss the camaraderie of having a team. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. There's something, they're just so different. As much as I love uh, basketball, I think baseball has a very, it feels a lot more community based. Mm -hmm. Like the teams themselves feel a lot more community based than basketball. And I, I, I kind of miss that. I guess my fandom, it, it, Griffey left and then I was done. I just love the thing, you know, I just loved the, I, I just, I love baseball. That's Rhea Butcher, another comedian and a current baseball fan who also hosts the Three Swings podcast. And to me, Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, changed the way the game could be played. Just the climbing the, the wall and the outfield and the swing, you know, it was just like, oh, this is different. This is very, this is very different. And it opened up the joy of the game to me. He smiled. He had a good time. He loved what he was doing while he did it. Ken Griffey Jr., to me, looking back in retrospect and in hindsight, was because the NBA came of age, I feel like, in that era too, with not just Michael Jordan, but everybody. You know, Michael Jordan, like, led the... He changed what it looked like. He changed what ba basketball could be. It's interesting to me to think of Ken Griffey Jr. and Michael Jordan in the context of each other and that Ken Griffey Jr. was sort of the Michael Jordan of baseball. Um, the thing I wonder about Griffey as far as, as their cultural importance to their sport was really similar, but we're not getting a 10-part Last Dance series <laughs> on Ken Griffey. We're not. Right. It's like like we don't talk about him like we talk about Michael Jordan. Is, is it is it because he never won? I, do, I think we don't talk about anybody like we talk about Michael Jordan. Is there somebody from baseball that we talk about I, I mean maybe Babe Ruth you know I will Babe Ruth yeah I mean well, yeah, well I yeah. but but we do because he transcended the sport regardless of his ability you know right. um even though you know he was very good at hitting home runs but how many people like how many people know who Hank Aaron is oh yeah, yeah. you know so it's like it's all what fits in the moment I don't think it's a stretch to say that in the early 90s, even in the 94, 95, like that, that five-year stretch right there, he's doing stuff for baseball that Jordan was doing for basketball. Did you see that? Was that something you experienced in Seattle with Ken? No, no, absolutely. And he like, he transcended even just the sport and, you know, for Seattle, he was just it for the Seattle athlete. Like, you know, we didn't have, you know, Russell Wilson at that time. So Ken made baseball just, you know, explode. Like you said, especially by the mid nineties, the Mariners were, a, were certainly a hot ticket. There's a pretty emblematic moment of what we're discussing right now, which is at the 1993 MLB all-star game. Um, mm -hmm. There's a video in the locker room before that game and who else is in the locker room, but Michael Jordan wearing a, you know, wearing his white Sox Jersey. And, uh, he's, he's moving people out of the way. He's in the locker room and he's yes. like, where's Ken? Where's Ken? Ken, where'd Ken Griffey go? That, that's when I knew I was like, man, if that doesn't encapsulate where he was at that time, man, that's yeah. This moment between junior and Jordan swapping autographs in the locker room, might be at the apex of 90s sports culture. It might also be one of the only examples of America's greatest sports celebrity being eclipsed by another athlete's celebrity, just for a second. In this moment, Jordan seems to set aside his own superstar celebrity to act not like the superstar athlete that he was, 
but to act like a fan. A fan who needed what we all want when we're young and inspired by greatness. An autograph. Our very own slice of celebrity. Seeing an impatient 30-year-old Michael Jordan push through a crowd in order to get to the feet of a 23-year-old Ken Griffey Jr. says a lot. A lot about who Griffey was as an athlete and as a celebrity in the 90s. But unbeknownst to them, as they stood together holding each other's jerseys, it was all about to go away. Three months later, Jordan would shock the basketball world and retire from the NBA. Uh, It's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. And shortly after that, on the eve of 1994, the MLB collective bargaining agreement expired, setting the stage for one of the most devastating strikes in pro sports history. Baseball would begin a popularity decline that they're still crawling out of today. World wars and acts of God couldn't do to baseball what 28 owners and 700 players have done. They killed off the balance of the season. We begin our While that's all happening, Cola releases his second album, called The Power of Rhyme, in 1991 hoping to duplicate the success of his first album. But then Sir Mix-a-Lot leaves the record label over financial disputes. And he's obviously the big fish, the big ticket item on that label. So with all of this going on and lawsuits happening and then my record struggling and we hadn't experienced, you know, baseball strikes and record labels going bankrupt and being in lawsuits. So just everything just kind of like was happening all at once. And it was just kind of like the perfect storm of just, you know, absolute craziness that caused things to spiral. Just as the career for both of the kids was launching into new heights, the infrastructure around them came tumbling down. I wanted to feel like, you know, a, a, a big boss and all that kind of thing. And, you know, to be honest, I think we both had the same attitude of, man, give our our trade everything that we got, work really hard at it, and let the chips kind of fall where they may. For the kid, Ken Griffey, those chips fall one way. And for Kit Sensation, they fall another. That's next time on American Prodigy. This Blue Wire podcast was co-hosted by me, Alex Ward, with Kola Malik. Production and writing by myself, Caroline Losnick, and Jessica Botiford. Editing and sound design by me, and our theme song and music is by Kola Malik, with additional scoring by Robbie Carver. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard, and our baseball consultant is Gabriel Baumgartner. Research assistants by Walter Heyman, and the executive producers for American Prodigy are John Yales and Peter Moses. If you liked American Prodigy, subscribe, give us a rating and review. It helps the podcast get to more people and maybe, just maybe, brings more people back to baseball. See you next episode. Thank you.